There's a book that was written a few decades ago by a, a liberal Jewish rabbi, Rabbi Kushner, and it was very popular. And the, the title's so catchy. It's, uh, you've probably heard of it. It's called <clears throat> Why Good Things Happen. Why <laughs> Good Things. Why bad things happen to good people. I almost said why good things happen to bad people. And the, that wouldn't have been a very catchy... Uh, well, maybe it would have. No, it's it's why bad things happen to good people. And that's just a great title for... Uh, to sort of capture the the message here, to uh, which is Christ's second word of seven to these churches in Revelation 2 and 3, to the church at Smyrna here. Uh, let me go ahead and read. Let me go ahead and read the passage as I promised that I'm going to try to do at the beginning of these messages. <clears throat> and to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich, and the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil's about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. So this is, this is um, a window into the best church getting the worst treatment. This is the Job syndrome. Job, remember, Job suffered not because he'd done something wrong, but on the contrary, he suffered because he was, he was so righteous. Job 1, verse 8. Um, and, and, and the same could be said to a perfect degree of Jesus. And, uh, and this, is, this is often the pattern that God takes with his people. Um, C.S. Lewis calls something like this the intolerable compliment. And it's a principle that's embedded in Hebrews chapter 12 more broadly, that God takes trouble with his children. If you're not his child, he'll, the worst thing he can do to you, Romans 1, is just let you, let you go. Just give you over to your own desires, let you do what you want to do. And that's really the American, it's become, unfortunately, the American um, <clears throat> mantra is, you know, freedom is just doing what I want to do, following my heart. And that's the worst thing God can give you over to. But if you're his, he disciplines you. And the farther along we are with him, oftentimes the, the more he knows we can take. Um, and so the more he will put us through the, the forge. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's like a weightlifter. Uh, if he's strong, you're going to be able to rack up heavy weights because you know he's going to be able to handle it. And he, he knows that it's good for him or she <clears throat> and that it's going to make him stronger. And so God, God is like that with us. And um, we see that here with this church. We see that with this church. It's not a punishment at all. This, is, this church is um, it's the shortest of the seven messages. It's uh, less than half as long as the longest message. Um, it is one of only two the other being the church in Philadelphia with no rebuke at all. But um, as one commentator points out, it's, it's somewhat austere, kind of surprisingly. We might expect it to be more encouraging uh, because this church is, is, is praiseworthy. But it's less encouraging than we might expect. Um, it's not discouraging, but it's pretty bracing because Jesus says, 
look, don't be surprised. You're in the middle of suffering. It's going to get worse. And some of you are going to be thrown into prison. Stick it out till the end. Persevere. Be faithful unto death. Some of you will die. I've got a huge reward for you. Um, and I'm with you. So it's a rather bracing message. Um, trying to think about what else to what else to say. There's a lot of there's a lot of context here with regard to Smyrna. But let me let me just say this in short. Smyrna might well the word might well mean crown. It was it was known as the crown city, the crown jewel of the empire. It's a beautiful city. It was known for its beauty. It vied as um, the number one Roman city in the area. It vied with Ephesus and one other city uh, for being number one. It, um, it, it, there was huge, there's a huge temple, uh, massive emperor worship, massive worship of the state as omnicompetent, um, big temple in which they literally said that the government is God. And it was a, and, it, and there was nature worship. Uh, Sybil was worshiped basically mother nature. So there was state worship. Uh, the state can take care of our problems. The state can provide for everything that we need. There was nature worship, um, and it was a it was a crown city, and there was actually a hilltop that was crowned by a bunch of official buildings that you could see from. It was a it was a harbor. It was a seaport, and you could see it from the ocean, and and it, it looked like a crown. And so it was known in, for a variety of reasons as the crown city. And so all that to say. Jesus is, uh, his promise to this, to this church is be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. And so he's basically saying the government is promising you that it will give you a reward if you just let it, if you just look to it, um, to provide all of your needs and give yourself to it. And boy, if that doesn't sound more and more familiar in our culture today, the government telling us that it could take care of everything, uh, give it, give us, give us everything, and we'll take. You know, they they're taking everything and promising everything in return. Uh, presidential elections are getting more and more messianic um, in America, and and nature worship, same thing. A lot of the green push, uh, not not so much a hey, we're stewards of God's good creation, but just nature is sort of all we have, Mother Earth, and it's 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 our end all be all to make sure that. Uh, you know, we'll do anything and pay any price to make sure that, you know, the ice doesn't melt and all that stuff and animals don't die. And so there's, there's a real, uh, resonance here with, with actually what, what the Smyrnans were right in the middle of. And Jesus says, those things can't provide a crown for you. Those, those crowns will fade. They'll break. I've got a crown. It's the crown of life. It's, it's, it's me, right? The crown of eternal life, because I hold the keys of death and hell, I've conquered death. I've passed through death. Um, and I, uh, you know, stay true to me. And even if you die, um, you don't die because you'll pass through death and I'll, you'll live forevermore with me. And so um, I will give you the true crown that's unfading. <clears throat> so there's a real call to to these people to suffer well. Let me see if there's anything else I want to say here about Smyrna. So let's just jump into the text here. Um, 
the first, I sort of touched on this, but in verse eight, the first thing that, that Jesus says, the risen Christ to each of the churches in one sense or another is look, look at me, look to me, get your eyes off of, uh, whether it's yourself or the culture around you. And the secret to living well as Christians is Christ is to looking, looking at the risen Christ. And then again, in revelation one, we were reminded of the fact that, you know, Jesus appears to John. It's the, it's the anchor of the book and everything else flows out of that. Because of who Jesus is and what he's done, we are more than conquerors, and we need to keep our eyes fixed on him and remember, constantly, constantly remember and remind each other of what he's done and who he is, and that free salvation is, being, is offered to us through, through his achievement, and because he's passed through death and hell, and he's, he was crucified for us and has set us free by his blood. And so um, he's, he's saying here, he's pulling from... You know, he says, "Hey, your reward is this crown of life." That because remember, I passed through death, and and I hold the keys to death and hell. And so he's reminding them of who he is and what he's done. That we saw there back in chapter one. Um, so you know, the the be faithful unto death is what he tells them. You, you you're going to get thrown into prison, and and some of you will die but be faithful to death all the way to death. You know, that doesn't hold any water. It's not at all motivating. If we, if you think death's the end, it's like, I'm going to, our, our culture thinks death is the end. So it, it's mantra is do anything at all that you can, anything at all to avoid death. And Jesus is saying, I've made of death an open door into life. So literally the stinger has been taken out of death through Jesus. And that gives us an immense power as Christians, and it gave these Smyrnans and these early Christians an immense power that made them countercultural, and they stuck out like sore thumbs, and a lot of people came to Christ, no doubt, through, through watching these Christians live, but also through watching them die and suffer well, and that's increasingly going to be the case with us. Whether, whether any of us die um, through state persecution or, or whatever uh, remains to be seen, but certainly um, suffering in a variety of ways, suffering through... Um, our witness being snubbed, but, but also just in this culture where death is the worst possible thing. Um, and we believe as Christians that death has no stinger. There's a sense in which we, we don't seek out death. It's an evil, but we are not afraid of it. And we, we are actually, there's a sense in which we look forward to it. I mean, um, Billy Graham's wife said famously that her tombstone was her launching pad. Um, Death is a door into life. You know, G- Paul in Philippians 1 said, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Because when I die, I get to go see him face to face. When I die, it just gets better. For the Christian, this is as bad as it gets. For the, for the non-Christian, for the unbeliever uh, who rejects Christ or who's never heard of Christ, this is as good. This life's as good as it gets. And so we have a message of our gospel, our news to proclaim is, is getting brighter and, and the news getting better and better in this culture. The more this culture fears death. Um, Jesus says to this church, I know. Um, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And so the fact is that, you know, this church was suffering big time and it, they could have been tempted to think that Christ had forgotten them, that he didn't know. Either, either, either he didn't know um, he was ignorant or that he had forgot, um, or that he didn't care. And, and he just eviscerates that by saying, I know. And we were again, reminded of his eyes that he sees everything. He sees our condition. He sees our hearts. He knows 
what this church is doing and he's proud of them. He says, I know your tribulation and just popping into that real quickly. Um, this is, this is said of John, your brother in the tribulation in Revelation 1 verse 9. It's mentioned elsewhere, uh, again, in Revelation seven fourteen, I think. And, um, Jesus says here, you know, John says, I'm your brother right now in the tribulation that's happening right now in the first chapter, second chapter. Um, I know your tribulation is what Jesus says in two, in two nine here. So in one nine and in two nine, uh, the tribulations, they're right in the middle of it. And that's a more accurate to my understanding of revelation. And, to, and I'm not the only one to many others. The tribulation is not some future thing for the church. It's not something that uh, the church gets whisked out of by Jesus. The tribulation is happening to the church now and will until Christ returns. And it's, and it's, it's consonant with, it is concurrent with, I should say, uh, it's happening at the same time as his reign. And that really is, it just follows along from, I mean, think about the ministry of Jesus. His, he said, wherever he went, the king is here. And so the kingdom is near you. The kingdom is coming. It's coming through my person, through my work. I've come to make all things new. And so as we share the gospel of Jesus Christ and as his person lives in us and goes out through us, through the gospel, his kingdom, his kingdom comes and he's reigning from heaven and he's reigning here by his spirit through us. And, um, and so, but his ministry was one of, of privation, of suffering, of rejection, and of death. But, uh, and so in other words, it can be encapsulated by saying his ministry was, there was great tribulation in his ministry, but his kingship went forward through, and especially in the greatest victory, the cross, through his ministry, through his life, and then through his death preeminently. And so it's the same with the church. The tribulation and revelation isn't some future thing. It's then when John was writing, I'm your brother in the I'm your partner in the tribulation and in the suffering and the patient endurance and in the kingdom. He says all those things. So the kingdom is now and growing. The tribulation is now and growing. And the more it grows for us and the steadier we hold and fix our eyes on Jesus and preach the gospel and don't fear death, the more his kingdom comes. And so, um, you know, we see that not just in the life of Christ, you know, again, like I said, we see it in the early church. We see it, um, just think about essentially all the apostles. I mean, John's the only one left because the rest have been killed off. Think of Paul, who was decapitated in Rome. Think about G- James, the half-brother of Jesus, slain with the sword in Jerusalem. Peter was crucified upside down. Um, and here's John sitting sitting on Patmos, a Roman uh a Roman rock that's a, a place of, it's a, it's a Roman gulag, a place of, of slave exile, a penal colony um, for his witness to Christ. And, 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 and throughout, throughout the past 2,000 years, the faithful of Christ have been persecuted. We, we've experienced a small blip of an exception in history, but we are starting to feel the water warm in the pot, the proverbial pot a bit, and it, and it may reach a boil in our lifetime. Um, but the tribulation is now, but we need, need not be discouraged by that. Christ says, hang on, proud of you. Um, fix your eyes on me. I've, I've passed through death. I've removed its stinger. I'm going to give you a crown that's never going to fade. Um, and, he, and he also says, to move on through the text, he says, look, uh, I know your poverty. I know, right? He knows. He hasn't, he, he's not ignorant and he hasn't forgotten and he doesn't, and, and it's not that he doesn't care, he does. He knows, he says, I know your poverty, but you're rich. So he sees things as they truly are. And he goes on, you know, at the last, um, the last church, the seventh church, he says, uh, you, you're rich in all the worldly ways, but you're actually impoverished. 
you're poor. So Jesus sees things that truly are, and true riches um, are riches of character, riches of faithfulness to him, riches of relying on him, riches of pouring our lives out for, for others. Um, you know, Christians throughout history, certainly at this time, throughout history, and even today around the world, um, and even in America, like I've been saying now, increasingly, um, literally just not having access to what non-Christians and Christians who sell out um, have access to. So throughout history, um, lacking not being able, Christians not being able to go to the best universities, not being able to buy and sell in certain ways, not, not able to get the best jobs. That was prominent in, in the USSR, an atheist uh, model state. Um, if you're a Christian, you just can't do these things. Um, often in these atheist states opposed to God, uh, the, the fathers oftentimes would be locked up for their faith and the mothers and the, and the kids would, would grow up incredibly impoverished. Um, and this was happening in Smyrna and it's happened, uh, throughout history. It's happened in the West. It's happening more and more here. Um, so Christ says, well done. I'm proud of you. Persevere. I'm going to crown you with life. I see. I know you're rich. So we need to have that economy, uh, the economy of Christ in our, in our imaginations and our understanding, not the economy of this world. He, he talks in this sort of the center of this word to the church in Smyrna about um, the fact that the Jews, but they're really a synagogue of Satan. And the fact there is just that um, the Jews, there were, there were quite, a, quite a lot of Jews in, in Smyrna and they had, they had legal, Roman legal rights to worship um, according to their scriptures and their conscience. Um, and, you know, most Christians in the early church were were Jews, but that was changing. And this is, this is 60 years on. It's in the early nineties. And, um, the emperor is starting to crack down on Christians. And a lot of Jews are starting and in Smyrna. It seems to be the case here that they're saying, Hey, the Jews, a lot of the Jews are saying we reject, we reject the way we reject following Christ. We reject Christ as the Messiah. We reject Christianity. It's not, uh, it's not Judaism. It's something other. They're false. And so they were, they were ratting on, uh, Christians and separating themselves from Christians and rejecting them and rejecting Christ. And a lot of these Christians were therefore um, being called out and getting thrown in jail without protection. So that's what's happening. Um, but but the, I think the principle here is that not all who say they're God's people are God's people. The Jews certainly thought that they were, but if they were rejecting Christ, they were not. Jesus called them a synagogue of Satan. And... Um, he, you know, when he was on this earth, he called, he said to the religious leaders that kept on rejecting him that their father was Satan, even though they thought their father was God and they thought they were children of Abraham. He said, I could raise up children of Abraham from these rocks. Um, don't just think because you're born into this and because you keep the law, you think that you're keeping the law, that you're God's. You're actually belong to your father, the devil. And John called the same religious leaders vipers. So... Um, not all who say that they're gods are gods. And we, we need to preach the gospel and live the gospel out, trying to win them to Christ, but ultimately knowing 
that uh, that's 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 the case. So, and God knows those who are His, and those who are His are His through faith in Jesus Christ. You can't you can't be His any other way. Um, another principle that we can glean from this that's I think really important and helpful in life is that um, sometimes bad things that happen to us they're from Satan. I mean, that's what kind of the, one of the missing pieces in the book of Job is that Job kept thinking, I think he never, he never understands that Satan's the one and he gives, he knows God is sovereign, but he keeps, he keeps kind of putting it on God. Why are you doing this to me? And ultimately, yeah, God's the one who allowed it. God's the one that pointed Job out to Satan because Job was so righteous. Have you considered my servant Job? In Job 1.8. But Satan's the one doing the things to Job and Satan, he loves, he loves to screw with God's people. And uh, he loves to wreak havoc and to kill and to destroy and to lie and to accuse. And so Jesus, he was doing that here. And sometimes bad things that happen to us and the Presbyterians and Reformed folk will, I think sometimes we miss this. It's like, yeah, well, God's, you know, this, this comes from your hand, God. Well, it comes through his hand. But um, the cross was the work of the devil. It was the work of evil, but God used it in his sovereignty. He even foreordained it and determined it. Through the through the the freely chosen evil of man in the work of Satan to to save us, and so Satan's doing this stuff here. But Jesus isn't stopping it. He could, but he's going to work good through it. And so that's a paradigm that will really. And he said he doesn't say, "Hey, I'm going to get you out of prison. You're not going to die." He says, "Be faithful unto death." It's a charge that we should keep in front of us every day. You know, again, like the like the weight trainer, like the weight trainer, like the like the guy working out in the gym. That's 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 a hoss. The more weight, the more strong he gets. And if you put one one too many plates on, it might be too much for him. But the the guy that's his spot knows. Okay, here's just the amount we're gonna do, and I've got you. I'm here. Um, that's that's what Jesus does with his own. Um, he tests us and pain and suffering and submitting to them and knowing, keeping our eyes fixed on him during the process and knowing that he doesn't hate us, that he loves us, that he's conquered death and that he puts us through these things um, actually to make us more like him. And actually it's a high compliment a lot of times when he does and he doesn't take us out of trials. He does this with his, um, with his shock troops. He does this with those that are most mature in him a lot of times because those, those that are immature in their faith can't handle it. Um, so knowing that pain can be one of God's highest compliments, that he's not necessarily going to whisk us out and that he's not necessarily displeased with us is a huge life hack. Um, so, so one, again, he thinks we're worth uh, taking the trouble over. It, pain is his scalpel to cut out the cancer. Pain is his forge to, to turn things up, to, to, um, to burn out the impurities, to make us pure, more, make us more like Jesus. Even Jesus was pruned. Um, if we're not, if God doesn't cut us, then we're not his, right? Hebrews 12. But so he thinks we're worth taking the trouble over. And also, secondly, he knows that we can take it, like I, like I said. Um, who, got more, who got more pain and more suffering uh, purposefully put into his life as part of his mission than Jesus uh, the father paid him the ultimate compliment, as it were. But as C.S. Lewis says again, it was the intolerable compliment. Um, but he's making us more like when God does that to us, when he introduces this stuff and he tells us, hey, I'm proud of you. Be strong. Persevere. Keep your eyes fixed on me. Um, it's to make us more like Jesus. Less reliant on self. More hail. Beautiful. 
less selfish. So bottom line is just let me let me just give you the bottom line and then, and then wrap it up. Uh, we're reminded in the letter to Smyrna that as Christians, I'm, I'm quoting here, okay? As Christians, we're called to suffer. That's Tom Schreiner. We're reminded in the letter to Smyrna that as Christians, we are called to suffer. It's a calling, right? What does Christ call? It's to come and die. It's to pick up your crosses and follow me. If we've veered off of that and we have, somehow we in America have taken that call to pick up a torture device and follow Jesus to the cross. That's our call. And to call others to the same thing as we follow Christ together. Somehow in America, we've perverted that to uh, a call to get rich and healthy. You know, your best life now. Um, This word to the Smyrna church just decimates such evil, heretical nonsense. Ian Paul commentator in the Tyndale series says this. He says, there's no sense here of Jesus has a wonderful plan for your life. No, he says, I know, I see you, keep your eyes fixed on me, suffer well. And some of you will need to suffer all the way to death. You're more than conquerors. I'm proud of you. Um, my mentor, Dr. Kelly, says this. He says, we give up rivers of eternal pleasure when we embrace nonsense like the health, wealth, gospel, right? We give up rivers of eternal pleasure for a shallow cup of temporary water. The crown of life is waiting for us, friends. And Jesus is the one. He is the crown of life, and he's the one that will place that crown, that laurel wreath of victory on our heads, and it will last forever. Um Again, my mentor wraps, he, Douglas Kelly, he wraps up these principles in his commentary, which is just a collection of 66 sermons through Revelation. Um, he wraps them up nicely. Three things. One, we learn we're never alone. We never suffer for Christ alone. He's with us. He walks among the lampstands again, chapter one. He knows our suffering and he suffered worse for us. He's the perfect high priest. Number two, so we're never alone. Number two, we're never, our suffering is never fruitless. Nothing is wasted in God's economy. No suffering. He will use it all for good, Romans 8, 28. We see that here. He even collects, Dr. Kelly says, every one of our tears in his bottle, Psalm 56, 8. He collects them, right? Nothing, not a single tear of pain goes to waste. One day, Revelation 21, 4, he's going to wipe each of those tears from our eyes. So all the pain and suffering, he's actually going to use those things to comfort us tenderly, intimately, personally. How wonderful. How wonderful. We can rejoice in the pain now, knowing that deep and lasting comfort is coming. And then finally, so uh, we're never alone. Our suffering is never wasted. It's never fruitless. And finally, the best may suffer the most, as I've said. So let me, let me close with a quote from, from him um, on, on, on this word to the church. Jesus is saying something like this. I'm going to allow the forces of evil enough rope so they will take some of you, my most beloved children, and throw you in the jail from which some of you will not come out alive. You'll be taken to the chopping block, but do not worry. I do not ask you to go anywhere that I did not go, nor do I ask you to go even one step alone. I have passed through the territory of death already. I have taken all of its terror away for believers. Now, the only thing that awaits you on the other side of death is holding my hand as we walk together into the new beauties of resurrection joy. God bless you.